Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion now here to our Cracked Interview show. Of course, you may know him best as a former Georgia College and State University Bobcat, where he led his team to top 10 national rankings in each of his four seasons as a player. Of course, now he's fresh off of the first semifinal in NC State women's program history, first national semifinal for the athletic department since 1998. No doubt this man is feeling good about the state of his program heading into 2022 welcome onto the show nc state women's tennis head coach simon earnshaw coach welcome back happy belated thanksgiving how are you doing today cheers alex you know i was actually feeling pretty good until you dug that far back in my resume (laughs) Uh, wow that's um yeah quite an introduction there uh, spanning uh, several decades mm-hmm. well this will sure, but... make yeah. you feel good 1996 was when you finished up right at your final year at gcsu yeah i mean i think i staggered out of there in five years uh, <laughs> pretty much um tried to uh yeah you know tried to band-aid my shoulder up back on a couple of times <laughs> yeah. uh, which elongated my uh, undergrad by a year but you know I think it, uh, it it all was worthwhile in the long run. Yeah, no. Well, the reference for you is I was born October 6th, 1995. So you are one Alex Gruskin removed pretty much from college. There's the measurement for you. 
Jeez. <laughs> yeah, just a, a nice thought for us to begin today's show. But, you know, obviously, yeah. I am so thrilled to have you back on the show coming off of that NCAA semifinal run. And, you know, for me, I think it's the culmination of a two-year stretch. You know, you can really say three years, four years you've been building up to it. But anyone who is at the 2020 National Indoors in Chicago, and I happen to be one of the people there, saw your team perform. And you could tell right away that you guys were amongst the elite of the elite. Now, North Carolina, I thought if we played an NCAA championship, they would have won it hands down. They were unbelievable that season. But I think you you know you guys UCLA Stanford that was a pretty clear cut second tier and obviously you know Florida State in that mix as well we never got to see that season played out so for your team to come back out in 2021 retain that focus and make it all the way to the NCAA semifinal accomplish a goal such as a first in program history what have these past two you know what is the buzz like for you this summer I imagine things have to be feeling good over in Raleigh. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it was two separate seasons, wasn't it? But it was almost like a blended season. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I mean, a couple of things changed. Uh, clearly, Texas changed. Sure. <laughs> somewhat, somewhat. Yeah, we played them prior to the pandemic, and we and we played them right at the end as well. And they were able to um, make some, uh, you know, adjustments to their lineup during that time but no i mean yeah you you alluded to it it's two it's probably really three years i mean to be honest with you we made the indoors in seattle in 2019 uh we we somehow got a snowed out of an indoor match <laughs> on the uh, saturday there yeah. uh, so we only ended up playing twice um in seattle but uh, you know coming in coming into that event and coming into the 2020 season i think we were definitely more comfortable uh in that sort of echelon of the uh, of the rankings, or with those type of expectations, and I think it was it was an important event for us in uh, Chicago for us to make a bit of a statement there. And I, uh, you know, unfortunately, we ran into UNC on day two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you just mentioned I was actually hoping we could we could see Stanford uh, <laughs> in there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, such such is is how it falls, and uh, you know, we finished with Georgia, and I think we played probably one of the best matches uh, we'd put together up to that point. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was really disappointing, and uh, you know, a bummer when everything ground to a halt, and we were just, you know, for lack of a better word, we were just trying to wait for the next. I mean, because we didn't get to play in the fall at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so this time last year, we were really, you know, chewing our nails down, probably right down to uh, our knuckles, just waiting for a chance. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, we, I think, it was a, I think I've said this many times. It was a little bit rough on re-entry. Uh, with things didn't go great in the kickoff, and we actually went out in our first match to Northwestern. Um, but eventually, we managed to get a level of consistency and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed like we were just able to, you know, actually, if you look at the dates, it probably was right around mid-March when we just sort of carried on from where we stopped the March before. And, um, yeah, I think a few things went our way. I mean, I actually, you know, you looked at that that bracket there. We we did play USC in the round of 16. It could have been one of probably three teams. Mm-hmm. Um so there were there were definitely some unknowns and some things that we we had to do that we hadn't done before. But uh, yeah, I mean we got to the we got to the last eight. We had a familiar opponent, 
I, you know, I, I remember the, ma the match quite a bit. I can't remember how windy it was in that match because I seem to feel like the first few days down there were pretty windy. There's definitely mm -hmm. no bugs, uh, which is nice for once. But no, we, we played great. And um, yeah, I mean, potentially the the final four game against um, against Texas. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, they were clearly just loosey goosey and. Mm -hmm. It was uh, full flow for them. I mean, maybe maybe the occasion got a bit bit much for us again, a little bit like you know going back 2019 in Seattle at the indoors. But I mean, a good experience, and yeah, I mean, summer actually, you know, you <laughs> yeah. you'd be a great summer. No, I I think it's one of these things where when you do well, that's that's all good and well, but that's gone right and. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we, we've we've got more expectation now, and so we've got to try and do better or figure out how to take the next step. And those those are really hard earned steps at this at this stage. And uh, we obviously uh, have moved on to of well, two of or probably the two best players in program history mm -hmm. uh, combined for some insane amount of wins over their five year careers, and that's no simple task to replace. Anna and, and Adriana. So, yeah, we've been working at it hard. It's been a little bit of a kind of a weird fall for us, yeah. I would say. Um, I guess we've still got to um, try and convince Jay Tweets Tennis that we've got a <laughs> yeah a level of ability to uh, at least be functional somehow. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll I think we we may surprise a few people. Yeah, I've seen his spreadsheets. Know that you guys are higher than you think. Um, but, yeah. you know, with that in mind... <laughs> it, doesn't, um, it doesn't matter what I think. Yeah, <laughs> what we do right that matters. So let's see. Yeah. Yeah, very fair. But, you know, you talk about last fall. And obviously, you know, for your team, it helped that you had a bunch of veterans. Everyone who was playing again had played a match in NC State colors before. Um, but for your team, you know, and doing this exercise, we're interviewing all of these Power 5 coaches. I would say the standard number is 7 to 10. That's how many doubles teams are played throughout the course of a dual match season. You guys played four. Four dual match, uh, four doubles teams during the dual match season. Now you won over seventy four percent of your f matches in each and every flight. You dropped five doubles points throughout the course of the year. To not have a fall and to perform that well in doubles again, what does that say about the state of your program? How do you get results like that to where you know Anna and Alana they don't drop a beat? You know Adriana and Jada they didn't miss a beat. Amelia and Abigail they didn't miss a beat. What clicked so well in that doubles point? You know, I mean, doubles doubles is something we take a lot of pride in. We don't actually practice as much as people think we do. Sure. We have, right? You think yeah. we'd probably be working on it every day. I, I mean, mean, if I was hard. that good at it, I'd just be like, we're just going to play a little doubles at the end, just as a reminder. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. I mean, in, in some ways, doubles is like a reward because yeah, anybody, exactly. who, anybody who plays college tennis is like, here's doubles yeah. practice, let's go. <laughs> We want to do it. We, we don't actually want to play doubles. We just want to practice doubles, don't yeah. we? Yeah. But no, we have. We ha look. We have a system that we run. I think everybody. Look, if you ask the other coaches that you've interviewed, what do NC State do in doubles? I guarantee you, a majority of them will tell you exactly what we do. And uh, I think the the players the players understand what we're trying to do. They understand what we're trying to do between the points as well, because we, we, we're pretty organized in that regard. And I mean, realistically, we're just coaching our side of the net. And if we can execute, 
-hmm. and let's say we we have a year where we we can put some returns in the card <laughs> then then maybe we get some results and uh yeah i mean for the most part i I mean, we were winning at a pretty good percentage, and I, I think we'll take that. If we can win two out of every three, mm -hmm. right, which is what you got to win to win the point, mm -hmm. then maybe we're in good shape. I mean, you just said what we win, 74% of our doubles matches? Yeah, uh, you guys um, go, I believe, in dual match season 49 and 14. So 78 total, no flight below 74%. Seven, seven, oh, so, yeah, then that's, yeah. I mean, and that <laughs> yeah. translates into, if, Very you know, good. it's like... It's like on the tour, right? If you win 53% of the points, it translates yeah. into 90 plus percent wins. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, never actually thought of it in that way, but it's that's right numerically. I mean, and if we, yeah, look, we got you're going to lose some doubles points. I think we got railed at Notre Dame <laughs> pretty bad. Um, you know, that happens at times, right? So, um, but no, I mean, I think the, the, it, whether or not we put two people together, as long as we're putting them on the right side, they pretty much all know what to expect out of one another. And it's just, uh, for the most part, their ability to be able to provide a certain type of ball at a certain time, at a certain spot in the court. And if we can do that, then potentially we know what's going to happen at least 51% of the time. Yeah, of course. And the other 49%. Yeah. Okay, I'm curious how helpful it is to have Anna and Alana up at the top. And, you know, did they win an NCAA title during the two years? No. But I think if you go back to the start of 2020, there has not been a better doubles team in women's college tennis than that duo. And then, of course, you've got Adriana and Jada at two. And they have tons of success throughout the course of last season as well. That familiarity, again, did you feel that in practice? And is it fun? It had to have been fun to coach a team where it's just, you know, they look at you and they go, you know, Simon, don't worry. We know what you're going to say here. And that they're able to execute those things that they know you're going to say as well. That has to be a luxury as a coach. Yeah, I mean, uh, a team that plays together for three years in a row is is somewhat of a rarity, right? Um, you, worry, you worry that they get a little complacent. Even with one another, you take your relationship for, for granted. Uh, but there was never really a moment where there was any uh, fault for us to, to split people. Look, I think, in, look, in their own right, they're both very good doubles players. Yeah. Kind of play a little bit almost too similar to one another. But, <laughs> you know, we had, we had two doubles teams, each with their own very distinct style. Um, probably, you know, quite counter to one another, but that, that would help us in practice as well because um, outside of uh, Sarah Davitia's infuriating lobbing of what we of what we do, we, we could pretty much replicate everything else yeah. right in practice. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, Anna Anna did well with Martina and Claudia prior to Alana mm -hmm. and you know talking to Alana after the All-American this fall I mean Alana's made the semis of the All-American she's made the semis of NCAAs and she's made the final of all nationals so <laughs> yeah I mean that's pretty good I mean I guess the question is if you get to the last four at least of each event at some point maybe you get lucky right <laughs> and uh, you get a little further so I think that's that's the thing no I mean yeah, I mean, we, we've been very fortunate to have these people that you can swap one person in and out and it doesn't really change anything. Uh -huh. uh, for the most part, you could even see that this fall outside of college in, in some pro events. It, it doesn't change. I mean, they're very, 
you know, they're very good in a leadership role in a doubles team, and they're also very complementary uh, players. And since you've alluded to it, did it, has it surprised you to see just how much success Anna's having here to start her pro career? No, not really. I, I mean, I think the question the question is, is, is like, what is our job right in college? Is, sure. is our job, if we're doing the, our job the right way and somebody has those aspirations, they should be able to go out there and immediately win at the 15K level mm-hmm. and potentially have success already at the 25K level. So you can get as quickly as you can into the 60s and 80s because quite frankly, you can't win any points at the 15K level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with the way it's been with the and with the acceptance list, you ain't going to get in yeah. to anything. So they actually, it's funny, um, they've won probably half of the events that they've played, right? Mm-hmm. But even the second event that they played that they won actually were alternates and didn't get in until about five minutes before the first match started. So I think, the, you know, she... I think that there's two things that have been surprising is, is first of all, that she didn't play until the middle of September. Yeah. So that was quite a, <laughs> yeah. quite a gap. I think that NCAAs took quite a toll on Anna mentally. Mm-hmm. She, she made deep runs uh, all throughout the event. Mm-hmm. But then that actually, like you said, that she was able to win straight away as well. I, because, you know, remember, these are not players that played a lot prior to college. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they're not people that made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon juniors and had already won these type of events. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great to see. And, you know, similarly with Alana being able to play a couple of events during the the college season and, and Adriana as well is out there, uh, giving it a go. And uh, I know she's been a bit frustrated as of late, keeps losing some close ones, but, you know, hopefully that'll, that'll turn around as well for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I want to move on to 2022, but when I, just to put a final bow on 2021, because having been at that NCAA semifinal, and, you know, I'm having fun with all these coaches. I like to ask them, what is the one match in your career that you could would want to re-coach? If you could go back in time and say, give me another shot at this match, I would like that opportunity. I wonder where that Texas match is on your list, because it did feel like, you know, first 20 minutes – you guys, I don't want to say we're in control of that doubles point, but you guys certainly had your leads. And then obviously they take 6-4 decisions at 1-3, and three, and it just felt like once they got that doubles point, they kind of burst the bubble, and they just came out so strong in singles. I'm curious what that, you know, again, it's a gauntlet of a year for your team, and you have to go through the brutal ACC, and there's, you know, I want to talk about your conference at some point as well, but I'm curious what you took away from that NCAA semifinal experience, what the girls take away as well, you know, coming off the match uh, after a result like that. I wouldn't even put it in my top 10, quite <laughs> sure. frankly. I know that would be easy to say. I, it has been, there's been some other situations that uh, I was in the match beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I wish I, you know, and I obviously had quite a bit of success in in championship games in Division Two, but sure. there's there's probably more memorable ones that got away uh, that you just look back at it, and I clearly potentially could have done a better job as a coach. It's always the did, losses I've learned. It's never the wins. No, no, the losses suck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the w- winning is more, you know, and, and there are years when the winning is is everything that winning should be. And there's also sometimes when it's a bit of a relief, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, in that doubles match, 
we had a couple of chances, I think, to break at uh, number one doubles, and we didn't clean a couple of volleys, right? Ball, we either, you know, I don't know, we either made a decision to put it in the wrong spot or we didn't catch it quite the way we should have, and the ball came back and the rallies got extended. And, yeah, I mean, it was a momentum changer. Um, three doubles, in some ways, potentially, maybe we would do a loss. Uh, it's one of those frustrating, and how many can you win in a row? I think UNC experienced that as a team, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, we hadn't lost a match at number three doubles for a long time. And, you know, we, we, you know, whether it was Peyton was kind of just being, I mean, she was being, you know, the way she is, she just sprays the ball. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to have uh, total control against her when, when she's got the ball going and Charlotte was serving lights out. So we weren't able to come up with a break. And before you knew it, we're serving at four five and we just got broken, right? Yeah. <laughs> On yeah. three or four straight points and boom, that was it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I mean, were we were reliant on the doubles point. I mean, I think we felt like we could win the doubles point against anybody. And, any time but um i mean it was it was a bit more complex than that you know anna was really struggling in, in singles in the team event it's amazing how much it just flipped into the individual <laughs> event just like overnight and uh look we had a couple of strong points where charlotte was playing unreal at number four and and jada doesn't really you know get taken um like that you know that quickly and you know then you, you get in a hole right and we just it's like we just didn't have enough time or we just didn't have enough chances or yeah i mean it was yeah it was frustrating but uh at the same point um they were they were playing better than us in that moment so so with that in mind and i'm gonna mix these in at you throughout the course of this conversation i i think a fun rule change and i'm curious what you think would be to add a timeout in college tennis because there are always momentum runs, right, in these shifts. And sometimes there's just like a 20, 15-minute stretch that gets away from you. And so I think once a match, every coach should be able to just say, hey, I'm calling a timeout, and I'm bringing my team in for three minutes. We're huddling around. We're refocusing. We're going back out there. Would you be in favor of the timeout? 100%. If we, if we could do that, and that could be in lieu of uh, the injury breaks <laughs> and, and the bathroom um, breaks, and the bathroom breaks, I would 100% take that rule. I'd even add that at that point in time, I ought to be able to make a substitution as well. Now uh, you're talking my language. If we could bring a closer in at, at times, you know, that would be absolutely brilliant. And it would be a, another dimension because, you know, one of the problems with tennis is is if you're a starter, that's it. Yeah. There's n there's no other sport in college where there's there's the inability to alter the starting lineup, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess unless you 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 do make a change after doubles. Sure. Which, which some people, you know, they they do that strategically. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No uh, doubt. I mean. So now that we've opened the Pandora's box. Uh, we'll get back to your team. We'll get back to 2022, I promise. But yeah. for me, and you talk about the substitutions, 
the issue for me is that pause in between doubles and singles because i do think from a fan perspective the 40 minutes of doubles is the most exciting element of tennis period it's just a rat race it's russian roulette it's only three courts so you can actually follow everything at once every point matters there's just so much excitement again coming out of those 40 minutes and then you have this 10 minutes of nothing and you know a lot of smart coaches you're going to feed the fans pizza in that 10 minutes and that fills the gap it you know bridges the gap it gets some of the job done but then you have 30 minutes 40 minutes really of nothing like yeah end of first sets first sets whatever like yes it's fun to watch but doesn't mean that much to me the solution is simultaneous starts and whether it's you know four singles flights one doubles flight and then you get to substitute the players who play doubles in when they're done with that match to where it's end of second sets Ooh, let's make some changes it's just or you know second sets whatever it may be i just think either everything has to go at once or it's time to make the switch and start with singles and then make doubles the sudden death doubles. Like, to me, I, I just don't like—I think the lull, the break, is something that kills the momentum. Isn't the gap between doubles and singles supposed to be five minutes? Five, seven yeah. minutes, whatever <laughs> it, it may like be. It. Yeah, I know exactly. what you're saying, yeah. I remember when we first started with this and we got rid of the warm-up in doubles, it seemed like— we would play the national anthem and be playing quickly. Yeah. And that time seems to have lagged at the beginning of matches and between doubles and singles. Now there's definitely a lot of kind of fiddling around. Mm-hmm. I don't know who, who I saw either tweeting or saying something about the format that they were playing in Turin for the, uh, the young guns event. Yeah. The next gen finals. Yeah, the next gen fight. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. The next gen. Yeah, I'm not one of the next gen. Maybe you're maybe you're still in that generation. I just missed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too bad. <laughs> but but uh, they were saying how quickly you actually get action there, right? Yeah. And in some ways the the cadence of the match gives you those pauses at the end of sets. I mean, I I'm guessing if we did something like that though, wouldn't we really the singles there'd be a lot going on. Yeah. Very quickly. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. We, we've got to figure out some way because singles moves at a slower clip. Yeah. For sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, how do we, how do we, you know, people say, how do we shorten the matches? I think we've shortened matches. Yeah. I think that can be shown in the numbers, right? We're, yeah. we're not playing. I mean, I don't know how it was when you played. I remember we would play best of three sets in doubles after singles. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, these matches were five or six hours I mean, there's just no way in today's culture that it works, right? We want to yeah. play three matches in that time. <laughs> exactly. you know, if, unless it's like our, our basketball team's four overtime game last yeah. night. But yeah, <laughs> but that was ridiculous in itself. Uh, or even the Penn State eight overtimes. Yeah, I'm guessing their two-point conversion rule didn't didn't help, did it, anyway, to speed <laughs> no. that up? No. Um, but obviously, it, you don't mind in that situation, potentially, because it's 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 great entertainment and you can preempt something for that but no we we got to figure something out yeah i mean maybe maybe there's a rule where where you somehow have to get it started if but the, the issue being like you're saying with substitutions is is player availability sure and then continuity and uh no i think these these are important things that we need to think about because i think we can see we're in a it, it's just an insanely uh dynamic or you could say volatile environment in college athletics at the moment and uh, yeah i mean we we the probably the the problem is the more we stay the same sometimes Uh 
the, the there is the potential to get left behind and we we absolutely don't want to do that i mean we want to be out front and and and, and get out ahead yeah for, for to me the idea of moving doubles to the end making everything worth one so it's four two going into doubles the 40 minutes of doubles already is the most exciting aspect, in my opinion, in tennis, as I already stated. Put that at the end, where it's sudden death, and everything's on the line, and it's that much more exciting. It's that much better of a product. And I just, again, in some cases, you're not going to have to play the doubles. If it's a 5-1 victory, we don't have to worry about that, or whatever it yeah. may be. And so, you know, you are attempting to shorten some matches now. I don't want to remove doubles from college tennis because I do think that's a special aspect of the sport. But, you know, again, it kind of it kind of solves all of the equations. It kind of, you know, it does address the, the lull. It does add some sudden death excitement, which I know the sport is always looking for. If you do simultaneous, the, the reason I like that is purely for the substitutions. Just the idea of being like after they're done with their doubles match, all right, hey, you're subbing into court three. I need you over there. Like, go take over. The idea of seeing coaches employ substitutions is just appealing to me, but that one does feel a little bit tougher. Although they do it in world team tennis, right? No, world team tennis actually has a, has a good take on this. Yeah. Um, but I think they can change the order, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't, the home team determines which order they go in. That yeah, would be, they pick. Yeah, they pick who plays when. That would be quite interesting if if the home team could pick whether to play doubles or singles first. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun, and then and then each of the doubles matches were worth. Uh, I guess I, I so hit the problem. So I you know absolutely if you play double second, mm-hmm. then being worth one apiece would be awesome. Yeah. The problem the other way around, and we did this in Division Two for a while, is and obviously you can see why I focused on doubles a lot. <laughs> is if you get up if you get up three zero, mm-hmm. it's like ninety nine point nine percent chance you're going to win. And therein, therein is the Achilles' heel of it, because I think if you if you if you wipe that doubles away, it's very hard to win more than four singles matches against a good team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it but the the three zero lead clearly it's like anything like in football you suddenly go twenty one to zero, the other team's not going to not going to run the ball anymore, right? It does mm-hmm. it does impact. So yeah, I mean it's a good point. I mean. Yeah, maybe you maybe you choose. Okay, we play a seven or a nine point, depending on which way around you go for it. It'd be interesting to see how the home team would determine how do we do this. Yeah, I'm all in on lawless lineups as well, and just saying away team says here's my lineup. You submit it beforehand. Home team gets to match up however they want. Let's double down on home crowd advantages. Let's give the home team a chance to win every match they play. If you want crowds to buy in, that's the way to do it. I think there's plenty of development. And look, if a number six player, particularly now at the top of college tennis, number six players have pro aspirations. They want their shots at the Rogers, at the Smiths of the world. And Lawless Lineups gives them that opportunity. Plus, look, I know coaching chicanery is half the name of the game. Those who can scheme their lineup are the best in the business. Um, but let's we remove that element when you go lawless. And it's just like, you know, I think it's – is it women's golf and the match play where at the end they do something similar to that? Like I do think there could be a fun element to that. It would be a bit like Ryder Cup then, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you submit it, uh, although they do go out not at the same time. It's not like a shotgun start, right? Sure. And, 
in the Ryder Cup. That would be really interesting, then, right? If it was just all ongoing, yeah, at the same at the same time, and they started on eighteen different. I don't. It's probably not even eighteen matchups, is there? But um, no, I mean, there'd be you know, there's, I think there's merit to a lot of these things, and um, yeah, I mean, we 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 need to look at these, uh, and it's been a, an ongoing theme, hasn't it? Yeah, no, For, it's. Ha- it's ten, half the fun, ten right? Yeah, it's every year. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I look, I, I am a hundred percent in favor of no outscoring. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, when you go to these events like Eddie Hur, it gets actually quite tedious watching mm-hmm. the matches. Um, I got there on Monday at two o'clock. I was convinced that the singles were done, and there was a match that was still second match on being played <laughs> after having started at eight thirty. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just not the way it works in yeah. modern sports. Um, I don't know why in women's tennis we don't have the we we don't we play the lets or we don't play the lets, you know, mm-hmm. on serve. I mean, they're doing it now in juniors. They're doing it on the men's side. What are we doing? Yeah. So, do we shorten the sets even more? Uh, I there's, there's so many things we can do, right? Yeah. But the hard thing is, is trying to convince people that this is going to be positive. And I, I, and I, I think there was a lot of resistance with what we have now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think we have something, particularly in the dual matches, that's, that, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So why not look to try and, uh, along those lines, make it better, like you said. And there's, there's so many things we, we can do. We've just got to have an open mind and we... We've, I, I, you know, I, I think I'm really in favour, and I'm not one of those anymore. We need some youth, full, uh, hmm. you know, energy, um, and some young people to try and, uh, you know, invigorate this because those are the people that are going to be uh, hopefully benefiting from this ten to twenty years yeah. along. I mean, if I'm still around, then great. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, <laughs> I'll be holding on. Hopefully yeah, not. Yeah. Final four, number fifteen for the program. That would be uh, fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, there's the thought. But, you know, again, with this spirit in mind and as we transition towards talking about your team here in 2022, uh, I'm curious, A, you know, what it's been like for you guys, what a relief it must be to just have a fall season again, to be able to work with the girls to the extent that you're accustomed to doing. But B, you know, I do think one of the things about COVID is it forces us to reimagine, well, what should the fall in college tennis be? And obviously there's always challenges about moving the NCAA individual tournament to the fall. And, you know, for the SEC men's schools last year, so many of them discussed the benefit of getting to play as many hidden duels as they did. You know, you talk to any SEC coach, all of them to a T, and I think Josh Goffey did it when we talked to him open uh, on the podcast, was like, yeah, we knew Tennessee men were going to be incredible because they were just rocking everyone in the hidden duels. And it just gets you thinking, again, if the fall is meant to be preparation for the dual match season in the spring, why are we playing individual events? Wouldn't hidden duels be the best way to prepare teams to uh, prepare for the dual match season? I'm curious where you are. I know that was a lot of questions, a lot of things in one little rant at you, but where you are on the role of the fall, where you are, you know, the role of these individual events in preparation for the spring. It's interesting what the men say, right? Yeah, um, sure. Because I think the the bigger debate on the fall is is are we in or are we out? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> and, that simple. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, because one of the problems with hitting deals and the way I see it is, 
is everybody goes into it with good intentions, mm -hmm. uh, but then all of a sudden somebody shows up and they're missing four players. Yeah, sure. And so then it loses its efficacy. And um, yeah, and I mean, the other thing with a hidden duel is, is how many matches is a good amount of matches? We're already limited on dates. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that these hidden duels where we play one singles and one doubles a day for three days, you play three singles and three doubles in an event. <laughs> if you were going to go to uh, 15K and you were trying to win it, you would play more matches than that sure and use a day and i mean so i think you're absolutely right i felt like this fall was was really kind of just a mishmash yeah for us and i mean trying to balance the player dates with the team dates and look i, I the team season and the team matches how many people when you ask somebody what's your best memory of your college career like oh yeah i played this just awesome uh um hidden duel event at kentucky my uh sophomore year right sure. and that's my takeaway is is that i was no you remember you remember the close matches when and you and they always become a lot better over mm -hmm. over the years i don't think anybody would have a memory or would start embellishing some uh match random match that they played on the second day of a random tournament in october uh per se so it's a it, it's a bit of a missed opportunity in it right now. And uh, I think particularly on the men's side, I mean, are they in or they're out? And what are we trying to accomplish? And you, you asked about the individual event. The team event is way better. It's just not even close. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it, it, it's – and, and we, we should put every effort into making that even more of a showpiece uh and do whatever it takes to to improve that um so with the individual events and look i haven't been i haven't been in division one for very long right so i'm not super traditional mm -hmm. um are we making a decision here to play this event when we do because one person might get a wild card into the u.s open is that the, is, when it comes down to it and people don't say that or they just say, well, that's how it is and this is how it should be and we don't want to lose this. But at the end of the day, it's because one person might get a wild card, which I, I get that that's big, but is that the be-all and end-all for our sport? I don't It just seems, you know, and the next question is, is how do we do it, right? If we're going to mm -hmm. do it potentially, what, first week in December and maybe that gets us on TV because – there's not much going on in tennis. Mm -hmm. And I think if it, at the end of the day, if we can increase our exposure by a multiple or, or, or something exponentially that's better than what we've got right now, then we should do it. Mm -hmm. and, and forget the tradition and what have you. We, we, can, we can be better at what we do well and then the things that we struggle with, well, come on. We need to, we need to either figure that, it, no, that's not what we're doing here and that's not what's important. And we're just going to, uh, you know, play hidden duels and play some, get our players out and get them some exposure into uh, professional events and mm -hmm. get more of those on campuses and maybe collaborate with the USTA or whoever it may be at that point in time. Or we come up with a better, it, you know, we, we could almost run like, a, you know, the old satellites where you... Sure, of course. You, you had to play three weeks just to get in the Masters. Of and course. the Masters becomes NCAAs. I know some people said, well, that's not fair because, you know, what happens if a player takes a fall off? Well, you know what? That's your choice. Yeah. 
And if no. that's going to be your focus, then that's your focus. Tough luck. Yeah, I, I mean, was you, you, yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. I mean, people make decisions out front, and I mean, yeah. it's just another thing to deliberate, right? Yeah. No, I was speaking with Duke head coach Jamie Ashworth, and he was, and you know, Josh Goffey of South Carolina were both proponents of just flipping the schedule. Why aren't we playing the dual matches in the fall? And Coach Ashworth brought up the idea of, hey, you play the dual matches in the fall when you're a senior, your second semester senior year, you actually get to be a normal college student. For like a full semester, which is not something any college tennis player gets to experience right now. And I had never thought of it like that. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, that's a very good point. And just the idea from Coach Goffey's perspective, uh, you know, you use the fall to play all the team dual, ma- you know, dual matches, et cetera, et cetera. You then use the spring for development. And you can play all these individual events, and the culmination of it can be the NCAA tournament, whether it's at an Indian Wells or a Miami or whatever you want to do it earlier in the season. Now, I would always love to see the individual event at the U.S. Open in that second week. It just feels like they're always looking to fill court time. How do we logistically make that a possibility? I think that would be the best-case scenario for the tournament. But to your point more broadly, and this is what's been so exciting about this exercise, talking to all you coaches, is clearly you all think about these things. And I do agree with you that the idea of doing something because that's the way that's been done is just not acceptable for logic in 2022. And that's just not oh, – it's not worthwhile to keep the NCAA tournament just to say – because that's how we've always done it. Now, to those who say, well, don't you want to make the properties you're already managing the best they can be before you start screwing around with anything else? I think that's a valid criticism. Like, I do think sometimes the fall national championship feels a bit redundant. Like, didn't we just play the All-American? What are we really doing here? Why not play the regionals first before you have any sort of grand national championship? And I can understand that thinking. At the same time, it just, like... I've made this joke a bunch of times, so I apologize, listeners, but, like, you're paying income tax in Florida at the end of the NCAA tournament, and thankfully that income tax is zero, but you're there for a month. Like, and that's just not beneficial to the athletes. It's not beneficial to the coaches. It just feels like it is the least efficient way to do things, and that's why I want to bring this up and pick all of your coach, all of these coaches' brains because, you know, I— I think there's some merit to playing the team season in the fall and then using the development in the spring to, you know, help all these players prepare if they want to go play a summer of of pro events because that's obviously when the majority of these events are held and, you know, you're not missing out as many pro events in the fall as you do by playing the dual match season from January to May. Like, I just think there's some validity to it all. I'm curious your response. So I guess, you know, in the evolution of college sports, the question is, why are we a spring sport Sure. in the first place? Was it just because nobody had indoor courts back when this all was fought out? Uh, I would bet the answer to that is yes, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So we can't possibly do something in November or um, December. Well, you know, I'm looking out of the window today and it's 70-odd degrees in Raleigh. (laughs) Yeah. And we're in December and it wasn't half bad. There's places where you go to play tennis and you can get outdoor tennis at this time of the year. No problem. In fact, it's really nice as a player. I would also add you can play more outdoor tennis in September and the start of October in Michigan than you can in January, February, or March. And it's like you're really not sacrificing that much. I agree. I mean, you can play a whole Big Ten season and never even see outdoor tennis, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You probably, if 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 you talk to the Big Ten coaches or the Ivy League coaches or or anybody, you know, the MAC, 
yeah. or the NIAC or any of these <laughs> ones in that particular part of the world, I bet you the majority of their outdoor tennis, and this is outdoor tennis in pleasant conditions, not in just nasty, gray, 50 degrees with 90 mile an hour winds exactly. where the coach is trying to convince you to go indoors and this can't possibly <laughs> yeah. be functional right yeah. uh, somebody actually asked me the other day is, is why does tennis have the weather rule and point. i actually was thinking you know what good point is it actually for the coaches and for the people <laughs> watching yeah. or is it for the players because you know i mean if it's 40 degrees and it's not that windy it's it's not the worst thing to play in and it's not like when you're playing these other sports, you're not out there. And I mean, it's not like we're going to play in the rain, yeah, <laughs> or the snow. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, we, there's a lot of things that I think, if you look back at them now, you wonder how we got to this point, right? Mm -hmm. And we're very protective of these, and it, it, it almost doesn't make any sense. I've not heard the fall season one before. Um, I think it's strange as somebody who's always done this cycle that we finish when we do and it feels like we go right out into the summer <laughs> and then here we go again um i have often wondered what it's got to be like to be soccer or volleyball or one of these sports as already know what the heck do you do the rest of the school year <laughs> i mean god i mean their seasons don't last very long mm -hmm. um and and then your point about NCAA, look we were there for 17 days yeah that's just stupid yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate to use that word, but that's just, I mean, what other sport are you at a national championship for 17 straight days on the road? Yeah, it's a um, lot. It's a lot. Yes. It, it, that, it, you, that statement alone tells you that this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. What we're doing right here. And, and, and when the powers that be come to look at it, they'll be like, Okay, hold on a minute. Why is that so out of whack with everything else? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, what are we doing here? We yeah. need to look at changing. And I think that, you know, that, that's, is, is, that, is that in anybody's best interest? Mm -hmm. Bottom line. Yeah, and I and think the answer is no. Agree. Yeah. Agree. And, and I mean, look, we're, we're being serious here, which is, this is very serious. Yeah. Which is rare. Normally, yeah, I know, exactly. So that's <laughs> yeah. why I'm, maybe I'm getting bored now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, no, I, I like yeah. that. And we, we can mix things up a little bit. And I know this is another serious one, but I am curious talking about the modern demands of college tennis. And by the way, this is why you are a returning champion here, because I knew I could ask these questions to you and you would give me candid answers, which I'm su supremely grateful for. Um, but look, I think the dumbest thing in all, and this is not an ITA problem. I want to clarify here. This is an NCA issue. The dumbest thing in the world is that a player will come to you right now in the month of December and say, hey, Simon, can I work with you for an hour and a half? And you have to go to them and say, no, I can't because you've done your eight hours or, you know, we can't go play again because we're trying to monitor your 25 dates. And I'm sorry, but I just can't afford to use a date on you right now. I think that's asinine. And I think it's, you know, again, unreflective of the modern demands in college tennis. And as someone who's been a head coach since 2000, you've seen at various levels the rise in talent across the board. And, you know, college is now a pathway to the pros. It's been flushed out. You can prove it multiple examples right now, whether it's, you know, the most extreme of, you know, Jennifer Brady making a Grand Slam final, Cam Norrie cracking the top 12 of the ATP rankings, college players can go on to success in the pros. 
But in order to do that, you know, you want to make the most of the resources. And so all of that is to say, and I think you can tell my thoughts on the issue, but is the eight-hour rule, the 25 dates, is that enough? Does that reflect the modern demands, the modern requirements almost to succeed in the sport? It's not even that simple, right? We have okay. this 14 additional days off and yeah. yada, yada, yada. Um, well, I, at what point did we start doing this tremendous disservice to our student-athletes? And I mean, particularly at this time of year, there's so much confusion, especially from our girls. Like, what are we doing right now? What, what, <laughs> you know, why am I here? What's going on? What, what you mean? I'm on scholarship. I'm getting paid to be here, but we can't do anything. I mean, obviously they can do it, but aren't you our coach? But you're not allowed to actually be there or be present. Well, well, so when can we start to do something? Oh, 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 we got, you know. Is it, is it December 9th or is it December 10th? Is it when I've had my last final or is it when all the finals are done? Yeah. And then, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Why do we go from and, – and who came up with the number eight? <laughs> right? I agree. And, and, and Yeah, and then it used to be two of the eight hours were for skill instructions. You're going to do two hours of tennis. Now you can kind of do more. Yeah. Um, but eight, what, what, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. How do you divide eight into five days? Because then you've got to give them two days off. This is what I'm saying. In, in modern tennis, I'm sorry, A, just one hour on the court a day alone. I mean, there's words about being efficient in practice. One hour is not enough. It's just not enough for an Anna Rogers and Alana Smith, a Jada Daniel, all of these players. If you have pro aspirations, eight's not enough, right? Not even close. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah, I mean, quite frankly, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. And why we have this blanket rule across all the sports, tennis, I have a, a, a constant argument with people that tennis does not have like a preseason and a postseason and these different things. We don't have an off season. Tennis is 52 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how we're brought up. And we bring these kids into college and, you know, they play tennis 50 weeks a year when they're at an academy or in junior tennis. I mean, heck, we've got Eddie Herr. We've got Orange Bowl right now. We've mm-hmm. just had national indoors over Thanksgiving. You know, they probably had to travel on Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. And, okay, we've, we're a little more amenable. We've went to nationals right now where they don't have to be in Phoenix and be freezing yeah. on Christmas Day. And we start on, like, December 29th. But there's another event right there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, okay, look, they have to have some uniformity across sports with rules. But come on, common sense. This makes no sense, right? If you're a swimmer or if you're a, uh, a distance runner mm-hmm. or if you're in a, in, in a skill sport, I, I don't get it. Yeah. it. It just is like who came up with these rules? I just think and, it's the dumbest thing in the world that if a player once said, Simon, can you coach me? There is a rule that says every so often you have to say, no, I cannot. Like what that is ant- antithetical to what the NCAA is supposed to be. I mean, these kids want to play. They want to yeah. practice. I don't understand why. I mean, look, I get it. If you're abusing the system and abusing the rules, then there should be consequences. Um, and But at, at the same time, is I, I don't get at what point there was a consideration that some people might actually enjoy playing a sport, <laughs> which is a game, Yeah, which is the, the greatest thing that we get to do that we make a career out of something that's a game right mm-hmm. so no i i'm i'm there with you this is just 
you know, for lack of a better word, completely asinine. Mm-hmm. And um, who sits in rooms and gets paid a bunch of money to come up with this stuff? I, I don't know. I don't get it. I am available to those people, just for the record. I'm great at sitting in a room and talking about nothing. Like, that's yeah, that's my strike zone, as you can tell. Um, but, you know, with that in mind, here's the, how we're going to pivot to 2022, because obviously I do want to talk about the team you guys bring back to campus and some of the newcomers as well. And, you know, obviously... Things are heightened right now. There are five classes of high school graduates in college tennis. The depth is greater. The strength at the top is greater. At the same time, it's a bit of a conundrum for coaches. How do you balance these two things? Going about the normal recruiting like you guys have at NC State, bringing in talent, developing that talent, seeing that development bear fruit in the run you guys have had since the start of 2019 Sweet 16 NCAA Final Four versus knowing that right now, You know, there are players available on the transfer portal at all times that as a coach, you can say, I need to find a five. I need to find a six. Oh, I see one right there on the portal. Let me go get her, fill that spot and rock and roll, because obviously you guys are there to win. Like it's part of the edict of every coach. You're not just there to develop players. You're there to win. I'm curious how you balance those two things. You know, again, recruiting the standard way for the future versus knowing, hey, there are players available right now on the portal. Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest question, right? I mean, we we got to this point one way. Mm-hmm. We we had that recruiting class in 2015, which you know did did actually include a transfer with Martina from coming over from Mississippi State sure. before the portal. Um, uh, those three players, then we augmented them with um, Anna and Adriana the year after, and they became the core of. Of, of what got us to where we are we're reaching you know we hit the top 10 in 2019 in in that 2015 classes senior year so mm-hmm. it, you, you can see how much change that you can you can sort of impact um relative to players and then ultimately you know that hopefully adds up and accumulates to the program mm-hmm. uh moving up um but that's a long it's a long process right um we can show with analytics that it, it's taking quite often with these players, at least that come in as freshmen until their third year to really see um, the fruits of what we try to do. Um, but I think obviously most people are going to say, yeah, but Simon, you're full of it, right? Because now you have a bunch of transfers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, look, I, first of all, 2016, what a recruiting class as a whole across yeah. the country and we saw that that was the group that came back and were the super seniors last year that's graham no. davitella Leahy, all of them Samariba, kenya yeah. jones yeah. i mean and this we're obviously talking you know vicky flores we're obviously talking just um in the acc there never yeah. mind you know across the country this was if you go back and look at that class and you know sometimes it's a fun exercise to go back and say mm-hmm. where are they now i mean what an incredible year. So I got really lucky there, right? Um, sure. Yes, yeah, so lucky Yeah, by the way, be. not ranked according to tennis recruiting t- recruiting classes. You had the number nine class in 2015. And shout out Bianca Moldovan, who's from right around my area in southeast Michigan. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that 16 class, Riemi Rogers, two five stars, somehow unranked. Disrespectful tennis recruiting. Yeah, tell Jay tweets that as well, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, no, I hey, I mean, maybe that's a familiar theme, but hey, we can we can debate that. Uh, who would have thought it, right? I mean, we certainly uh, feel like that was our best recruiting class of all time. Um, yeah, I mean, who's voting on that stuff? Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and and how impactful is it? Uh, mm-hmm. Because I bet you you could look in there and see a class that was number one one particular year. I won't say which year. And how's that one gone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, no, I mean, it's look, it's ongoing. I think the difficulty that we have right now is is how many scholarships do you have in any particular year? There's so many unknowns, and I think. A lot of recruits feel like the the unknowns are being are being borne out for them. That that there's there's almost like uh, I would say like a clog in the system, right? Mm-hmm. But in many ways, for us as coaches, it's 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 also the same. That you know, it's not necessarily true that everybody's going to take that fifth year. Mm-hmm. And that fifth year, for some people, maybe they're you know maybe you don't have their graduate program. Mm-hmm. at your school so if if they're looking to to gain a particular educational advantage out but you can't present them with that option so i think there's a lot of people out there exploring their options i mean i think I, you know if you have access to the portal you can see that it's just flooded with players and 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 quite frankly there's some players that it's it's mind-boggling that are out on there checking mm-hmm. out and I think that the the ultimate thing that we're we're going to see here is is players are deciding to go to schools a year or two prior, and then may ultimately end up playing against the school they're going to end up at this spring or uh, in a, in a future season. You know, and then you add in the Ivy League players potentially having two extra years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, it's a mess right now, isn't it? And all because we made that determination. Uh, back in the um, spring of of 2020. And I think that the people, you know, many people could say that these incoming recruits right now are the ones that are getting penalized. I actually think that the freshmen in 2020 got totally screwed here. Mm -hmm. Um, they, They did not get an extra year. And most of them really had a compromised season themselves. I, I do get why there was the sentiment towards the seniors um, from the 1920 season. But equally, that has been borne out on these these kids that came in in the fall of 2020 and almost gotten taken away from them. So, yeah, I mean, from a recruiting standpoint, how do we keep it upright? Um, you know, hopefully we're able to to speak to people and have a consistent message and... I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, I, it, I I think it continues for us to be as much of a challenge now as it was back then. I don't think having a number next to us changes much in particular. In some ways, it just means we get more conversations. But, you know, you're, you're always looking at what is the the end goal and, and what's the best use of my time. And in some ways, maybe it doesn't change anything. Yeah. Right. Like, how many times do we have to do something to change things? And I think, look, I mean, yes, if you look at men's tennis, for example, I I think things have changed. I think Mm -hmm. Ty Tucker has definitely changed things in that part of the world. I think you've seen a rise of the schools in Texas 
the SEC, Brian, at uh, Florida is really, you know, looking like they're going to be awfully strong for a certain amount of time. But wasn't it only 10 years ago when Stanford was a dynasty? Yeah. And I'm sure Paul Goldstein is doing everything he can, but that that's they don't have that lock anymore where they can play a season where they lose two points in a season yeah, exactly. or something like this, right? That's not a thing. And I think we're going that way in women's tennis, but it's it's going to take a little longer. And I think that those things that we're comfortable with uh-huh. are going to be harder to break in women's tennis. I I, I because yeah, they've been that way for so long. And, you know, I think last year's final was great. It was a change, right? And a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air. Um, I still feel like we're an outsider sure. as as a program, even though, hey, we've always been here in the ACC, and it's mm-hmm. not like there was something broken uh, with NC State or, or anything to do with our program. But, um, no, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how good we are uh, with what we do when we're face-to-face with a player on a tennis court. Mm-hmm. If we've got nobody to look at and nobody to help, <laughs> yeah. we're going to really struggle. So, yeah, yeah. but trans, you know, the, the, thing with the, the, the thing that, you know, if, if you have a short attention span, the good thing with transfers is, is it doesn't take that long. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, sure. I, and I do think it's a good thing long term that transferring has been destigmatized. That it's no longer oh that coach sucks, oh that program sucks, oh that kid sucks. Like sometimes it's worth acknowledging some fits just don't work. At the same time, adversity is the name of the game, and like it's true that the transfer portal offers an easy out for a lot of players, and that is a long term ramification. That said, something I've done for every coach, got to offer you the opportunity as well. Give me the recruiting pitch. Why should I come down to Raleigh? Why should I join this Wolfpack program? So, look, I think it's clear we have the most improved program of the last five years. In fact, uh, NC State was not even, you know, we couldn't spell improvement potentially for (laughs) the longest time. But if if you really want to be a better player, and tennis is something that uh, you you desire to to get to your best level at. I think we can show you that we don't necessarily, you know, I say we don't necessarily need the best uh, material, mm-hmm. but we can do the most mm-hmm. in in the duration of your college career. Now, you're going to have to like tennis. You're going to have to want to talk about tennis. And you're going to have to have a passion that that is up there with with myself and Dave and and the other girls on the team. You can't be scared of hard work, and you can't be scared of failure as well. Because look, the harder you try, the bigger the risk mm-hmm. um, that you're 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 going to be humbled by uh, what we're trying to do. But at the same point in time, look, we we have momentum. We're kind of the new thing in this 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 mm-hmm. arena that stayed so much the same for so long and uh maybe you know maybe you know maybe um you might just if you're not careful get exactly out of your college <laughs> experience what you're saying you want yeah. if you come to nc state i right? love it yeah, yeah. No. and uh yeah and i mean 
you're going to have to be interested in other sports because you've got to talk to me a lot. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think it's a, it's a handsome shade of red. Like I, I am a fan of the colors. They've grown on me. And, you know, again, with all of that said, uh, to sort of circle back to your team here, you guys are coming off of a Final Four. And you're coming off of a season where, you know, it was a loaded ACC, not just North Carolina at the top, but yourselves and Duke and Virginia, Florida State and Georgia Tech. And, you know, again, all of these teams were exceptional last season. And I'm sure that helped you. I'm sure that helps from a recruiting pitch as well. But, you know, when you look at the team and let's just start with the returners, Alana, 16 and five last year at the number two singles position. And, you know, Jada, 14 and seven at number four and, you know, five, six, you, you got guys go 19 and 4 overall at 5 12 and 10 at 6 with a couple of different options now the nucleus of the team has returned what did you see in the growth from them last season what growth have you seen from them this fall are each of those players you know when you lose in Alana up top and Adriana up top everyone's got to step up are they all ready to step up okay I mean I, th- I think we have one of the you know really forefront players in college tennis with Alana Smith Mm-hmm. I, I, I think everybody has opinions on Alana. Sure. <laughs> um, I, all I can tell you is, 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 is if you just can get past your opinion and just look at the uh, information or look at the results, Alana, I know she'll just play herself mm-hmm. for the program. I think we've made big strides. I think she can see that herself. She's not just kind of a one-trick player with a big serve anymore. Um, I think there's there's a lot of competitiveness in there, and I think she's got a lot of game and a lot of uh, headroom um, where she can lead the line. I'm actually surprised when you told me that Jada lost seven matches last year. That, that didn't seem like it, right? Yeah. It doesn't seem like it at all. I feel like Jada, um, you know, it's kind of been a, a cycle with Jada because she did come here after two years at Auburn, and I, I, I think we're very fortunate to have an extra year with her, and I think, uh, I think she would say that as well. I mean, I think we're going to see some big things from her this spring. We were really close in that ITA regional at a set and four zero. We just couldn't, you know, just couldn't quite get there against Mora. Um, but I, and I have a lot of confidence in those two, um, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, the, the, there's a bit of an X factor, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're explosive players. Uh, they're, they're not going to just stand and run around a bunch way back in the court so i think mean, that they're they're relatively dangerous uh abigail ranchelli started off really well in september i think she kind of faded a little bit i think you know this is her sophomore year she's definitely uh, you know a tough competitor uh, she's, she's she's got the knack of being able to be be there in the big stages i mean she played fantastic in that in that quarterfinal match mm-hmm. Um, we just got to get a bit of consistency, but I think that's the same when you look at these younger players. I mean, our, sure. our average age is night and day from last year. Yeah. Outside of Jada and Alana, we're we're actually quite young now. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, um, we will add to the group. Um, but you know, one thing that I will say I was surprised about, I didn't realize that uh, we we added Sophie and Sarah, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that the two of them actually started school when they should have been seniors in high school. Really? So, so they were both January starts? So, no. Uh, I mean, Sophie, Sophie started in the fall of 2020 as Got a 17-year-old, um, a, a year ahead. So, really, she should be a freshman this year. 
and Sarah was a January start coming out of Australia, but she was she was ahead as well there. Gotcha. So there's been been some things that I didn't take into account with with where we're at, and we're actually a little bit younger uh, with that group um, moving forward. You know, look, Millie would have played last year if it wasn't for the extra players. It wasn't like they gave us an extra starting position and we played seven singles. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think she would have played on 90, probably 9% plus of teams. Oh. And I mean, so, you know, in some ways we did her a disservice because she didn't, she didn't get enough experience um, in singles. She played doubles pretty much throughout. So, no, I, I, I think a lot of people will probably discount us. And we're going to add to that group, which is I'm sure what you're going to ask me. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to fully tell you either because <laughs> it's, yeah, there's reasons. I mean, look, we have Nell Miller transferring across from um, uh-huh. from Texas Tech. We do know that. She has to come in January yet again. Another ridiculous rule with the NCAA <laughs> when they put this July 1 notification day on there. Okay. You know you, how bonkers that rule is, is if you're in the College World Series in baseball, they played on June uh, 30th. Yeah, that's ridiculous. The final game of it. So what have you got? Like four hours to make a determination? Yeah, okay, (laughs) let me decide tonight. What am I going to do next year, right? And then the draft is the next week in baseball. This is just stupidity. But anyway, so so she had to sit out the fall because of this situation. She's back home in England. She'll be be here on December 30th. And yeah, I mean, we're going to be adding another player. I, I just... It's frustrating, but it's not something we can really disclose. Now, I won't ask you uh, to break the rules. Don't worry. Well, there's no rules. No, it's, it's just... You know, um, I think, you know, when when the, there's a certain thinking with tennis um, that um, you, if, if your decision causes you a problem, you wait until... Um, it's that's no not going to be as much of a problem. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we will. So we we will be adding. I, I mean, I think we'll have two players that will impact our lineup tremendously, uh-huh. and um, you know, maybe maybe not exactly lower in the lineup, but um, in some in some of that's up to up to the current players we have to step up as well. So you're so, telling me I should redo our top ten? Is that what you're telling me? No, I actually prefer it this way because I can talk about it. I can talk about it. And if you know me, I'm, I'm just going to talk all day. Good. That's what uh, I like about to hear. This stuff. Yeah, the most I mean, dangerous no, no. part, I would say, and I can't emphasize enough how grateful I am so many coaches have embraced me. The most difficult part of this is I know now if I say something, I'm going to hear about it. It's like mm. there's no longer the free pass of where I can just take a free shot and just be like, ah, whatever. Uh, that Those days are gone, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I will say again, it was the short list. You guys are on it, and I think we see with that core returning, with the talented newcomers you have, again, the schedule's not out. But I will say this, it's a loaded ITA kickoff weekend on the women's side. You look at the A&M regional, A&M, South Carolina, Tech, and Princeton. That's awesome. You've got, you know, Baylor, Miami, USC in a region. That's awesome. Duke, Oklahoma, Furman's fun. But you look at your region. 
as tough as any region in the country. You know, you get Northwestern again. I'm sure there's the idea of hopefully we can play them. That would be pretty fun. But of course, before that, you got to get through an Iowa State team that's coming off its best regional in program history. And obviously, Wake Forest, they've been coming up uh, of late as well. They're no slouch. That's a tough regional. Uh, obviously, when you look at your team, when you look at the schedule, I don't think the full schedule is out yet, but just you know, right away, it's an ACC conference. You know you're going to have to run through the gauntlet. How, how are you feeling about this team as you enter January? And again, what's the process going to look like as you guys prepare for May? Yeah, and I mean, we go back to the eight-hour stuff and they're not sure. being able to do anything. I mean, th- look, this thing's going to be here before we know it. Yeah. Um, we have a we have a hidden duel actually. We're playing down at Miami um, that second weekend in January. It'd mm-hmm. be ourselves, Miami, Vanderbilt, and Texas. That's a fun weekend. Uh, yeah, and then you know, never mind the kickoff weekend. We start out the weekend after with Princeton and Ohio State back to back. So home. Yes, oh. we're at home against both straight away. So um, yeah, I mean this. I mean you. Princeton, yeah, Princeton, uh, you know, I think that's one of the teams that's really maybe getting forgotten here. Mm-hmm. That That is a loaded Ivy League team. And I've been super impressed with the job that they've managed to do to get Freeman, Schwetz, uh, Vicky, who was obviously a freshman, so it didn't really impact her the same way uh, mm-hmm. being out like the, the rest of the Ivy League players is. But then you look at their lower lineup and, I mean, got any number of players that they can put in there with zoe howard was a great number three mm-hmm. i mean we played them at that indoors in chicago we've got grace uh Joyce, i could um, argue by the way at that indoors in chicago that brianna schvetz was as good as anyone in the field like she played that well and she might not even be playing one with how good daria freeman's been this fall yeah freeman's tough yeah she's i mean really really tough i mean you know what i think people should look at we hosted an event in late september just have a look at the bottom half of the drawer in that event yeah yeah um Freeman and kayatana were both in that half of the drawer along with Freeman, and mm-hmm. that's a 32 draw and i'm not even talking about alana selma ewing um subash uh yeah. jada was in there as well <laughs> it's just kind of a fun event actually i mean really really, i mean if we can put these people together if we could do it more often Mm -hmm. that would be fantastic and i mean maybe that's what we need to do in the fall but (laughs) yeah i mean look i mean i I love what some of the men's coaches do they they look at the ranking algorithm they're like hey let's just play and so you get tcu you get roditi against ty you get uh woodson playing against uh, Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you get these matchups between these type of teams where you just play. And, uh, you know, I, it, I think, why not? I mean, we're playing, we're obviously playing those two at the beginning. We'll play Tennessee and South Carolina. We're going to play Texas and U- UCF as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and plus the kickoff, I mean, it's exciting. So I think that's the biggest thing is, is we've got a really big sort of uh, motivating thing out there ahead of us and uh, yeah I mean I'm sure the girls for lack of the uh, not being able to work with us right now (laughs) are ready to are ready to get going and uh, look the reason and you know you talked about what would I sell our pleasant but the reason that we do everything that we do is for the matches right that's we we don't remember these rough practices at 6 a.m. or (laughs) or some when we've had free finals and we're just trying to rope it up to get through whatever we're doing right now. But the matches themselves are the most exciting part. And I think if we can 
if we can uh, look I, I always feel like in in football they only played 12 times so let's have the best matchups possible and uh, I know sometimes you get these games where they're done after the first uh, quarter that's not I, even for even for the guys that play there how interesting is that yeah no it's not no no i mean do we you know we have georgia against alabama this weekend now we're talking right let's see <laughs> yeah exactly see. michigan ohio state last week and same thing and with that in mind i'm going to sneak another question at you and this is my last one i swear 500 rule I know, again, you, uh, it, it's tough because you've been good at every school you've coached at. And so, you know, the 500 rule is really to ensure that if Xavier has a great season, they're not going to get screwed by a, a middling, for lack of a better term, Arkansas team that just, like, sneaks its way in. That said, would you be fine with the 500 rule going away forever like it was last I think it has no. I think it has no place in sure. what we do. My question is, is... How high can you be in the ATP over WTA rankings and be sub 500? Yeah, it's higher than you think, but yeah, yeah. like not. I mean, it's just it's the level of competition is what it always Correct. comes down to. We we ask a player to we ask a question to our players quite often is who's got a better record, the person who's 300 in the world or the person who's 40 in the world? <laughs> and it's 300. The answer is 300 always every 300. Time. Yeah. Yes, and does that mean that 300 is better than 40? Heck no. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's 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 the field that you play, and it it was a big look. It was a big factor in the growth of our program. Definitely with the ACC. Look, I came in where five wins in an ACC season was the most wins we'd ever had, going five and eight mm-hmm. in two thousand and uh, it'll be two thousand sixteen, right? It's a while ago now, but yeah. But you, you, we just ended up playing double headers. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, Everyone remembers Arkansas when... Gate like three years ago when they played like seven matches in a day. Okay. Where it's just like that should be unacceptable. No, well, that's just not smart. Yeah, I mean, sure. it, 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 it actually was really smart, but the execution yeah. of it wasn't so smart. <laughs> exactly. Right? Um, but look, it, you look at the algorithm. We played William and Mary and VCU back that year. Mm-hmm. If we don't get through that, and Amanda Rebo almost fell over towards the end of her deciding match against BCU. Maybe we don't go in the direction we are, but, and it was risky, but if you could beat two teams that are 40 and 60 on the same day, mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of points. Yeah. And I, I think there's two ways of doing the double headers. You either play double headers just to get the wins and get past the 500 record, or you play double headers where, Look, there is increased points all the way down to 125. Now, we can't guess it, but you can ballpark it. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes maybe an exercise. And some people have been critical of us that we may play a Virginia, maybe we may win or we may lose for free, and then we'll go and play Winfrey when they actually had a program, which mm-hmm. is, you know, an unfortunate thing that, you know, that's one of the things that went away during during all of this that was, which should be an alarm for us, but because that was a great program and Sid had done an unreal job down there. But, yeah, I mean, 500 rule, no. Go away. Yeah, I, I'm in favor. I'm with you. Well, then, my last yeah. question for you, and then I promise I'm letting you go. When fans watch your team compete this season, what do you want the takeaway to be? So, look, we, we play – we. And I think a lot of people remarked on this down at Nona. We play a little bit of a different brand of tennis. We're we're going to be moving forward, and um, you know, much like our doubles, um, you know, and doubles is exciting. We've already talked about that. I think we're 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 going to have 
or or have a look that people aren't always used to. And I think that makes it more entertaining. You get a, a larger variety of points with with what we're doing. And and hey, maybe our matches will move along a little more quickly than than some others. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I look. And the other thing is, is with our schedule, if you want to see some good college tennis, then we'll give it to you. We're not, you're not going to see too many blowouts. And if you do, well, heck, then somebody must be playing really, really well. And that, and and that's that's. And to me, I can watch Federer beat somebody down all day. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with all the greats. I mean, you just. I mean, if you watch that Djokovic Nadal match at the French Open in the semi-final, I mean, it was just absolutely breathtaking. Never mind tennis, just sport. And it was a level of purity. And I think that third set was a 7-6 one, wasn't it? That, mm-hmm. I mean, that's sport at its finest. And I think you you see something like that. It, it, it goes beyond whatever we're trying to do. And uh, you can get some, some great crossover opportunities. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll get zero point zero one percent or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I'll tell you this: it's not going to shock me at all when NC State pops into our crack rackets top ten at some point of the course of the season. That's what I'm starting to learn. Well, it's good that you're going to have a women's top ten there, uh, Grayskin. We finally <laughs> updated our numbers. We've updated. The truth is, people, you know, I've gotten coaches who ask this, so I'll say it now. There's only one me. Like I just. To be clear, like I can only have so many conversations in a given day without my computer staging a full-on mutiny and saying, shut up. Like we've heard everything you have. Like my computer, when I I told you this beforehand, um, it's just done with me. It's just like we know your thoughts on what the fall season should be, Alex. Like we know exactly what you're thinking now, and it hisses at me every time I give the answer. But, yeah, we're really excited to expand because the truth is – Women's college tennis right now is just exceptional. Like, it, it really is exceptional. And, you know, to a point you made earlier, the I don't want to say the era of Stanford is over because they are extraordinarily good. But there are Come teams— on, let's, let's call them out. Come on. Call yeah. them out. <laughs> well, it's just there are teams on the level now. Like, what North Carolina has done the past 10 seasons is as good of a run as you are going to find in college tennis, period. Does anyone doubt the talent? We all saw Texas at the NCAA tournament. That's as fine of an NCAA tournament run as you're going to see. Pepperdine, fully loaded. You guys, fully in the entire ACC conference now. Like, Duke's not going anywhere. Virginia's not going anywhere. UCLA's not going anywhere. It's just, it feels like the depth in college tennis as well as the strength at the top. Like, And again, like Audra Cohen's program at Oklahoma feels like they're positioning well for a good year. And, you know, Cal's always going to be in the mix as well. Don't forget about my Wolverines. Never forget about my Wolverines. Uh, there's a lot of good teams, right? It just feels like there's no, there's no hegemony. There's no just like sure thing at the top. And, you know, to something you said earlier on the men's side, like the era of USC, UVA is over. The era of just Stanford, Florida, sleepwalking to those title runs is over. Now, Georgia, they're all still really good, but it does feel like there's some openness at the top, right? And so to be able to cover it all, yeah, that's the bread. And again, it beats a real job, right? I think we just need to make sure Halioris updates his website and gets that thing going a little earlier this season. That's That would really help a lot of us coaches enjoy the season a little more. 
I tell him that every day. Every day. And people accuse me of anti-SEC bias. I say, no, Chris is just pro-SEC enough for all of us. So, you know, I let that sit on the side. But, uh, yeah, of course, all of that said, Coach, sincerely grateful you took the time to chat with us today. And I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate your candidness, how much I appreciate you putting up with our nonsense throughout the course of the year as well. Uh, Happy holidays to you and your family. Wishing you all safety, healthy, and, of course, success throughout the course of the uh, 22 season. All right, cheers, and we'll see we'll see you on the other side in about a month's time. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it, Coach. Be safe. We'll talk soon. All right. Later. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.